Hello and welcome to the Palm Sunday edition of the St. George's Writing Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Cales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters. I am your host on this continued journey of faith during a time of crisis. And I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, Father Rodney Whiteman, the Archdeacon. Father Rodney, how are you doing today? Good day to you. Very well, Lindsay, thank you. Um, I was a bit... Uh, what's the name this afternoon, but tied this afternoon. We were doing palm crosses, but um, it was a good, it was good experience, you know, uh, being able to still remember how to do the palm crosses and to teach those that came to learn and also have their share in palm cross making. So yes, we, we were able to manage over 500. We had a family doing uh, 100 yesterday, for which we are very grateful. And we hope that the crosses that we've made, once blessed tomorrow, will be, you know, that people will take to loved ones and also people they know in the area uh, who are not able to be in church, particularly the elderly and the sick, that mm. they could go and give mm. them a palm cross. Of course, in the safe, protocoled way we have to do these things these days. Yes, yes, yes. What a difference a year makes. Um, Absolutely. The podcast actually turned one last week. I missed that one. Um, and yeah, it's it's been an interesting and fascinating journey so far. And yeah, I think we've grown from strength to strength in terms of our, our coverage, in terms of our discourse. And long may we continue. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Father, of course, um, the business of today is Palm Sunday. It is, yeah, it's, it's been a while since everyone's gathered together holding up the palm crosses. Still no procession as far as I know. Um, so we will dive straight into it and I will catch up to you after the collect. Thanks, Lindsay. Good morning, um, people of God. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday in the liturgy 2021. Palm Sunday is also called the Sunday of the Passion and um, our commemoration of the Lord's entry into Jerusalem. And we would normally start with that beautiful traditional hymn, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. The acclamation, Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In the highest heaven. Dear friends in Christ, during Lent, we have been preparing for the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection. Today we come together to begin this solemn celebration in union with the church throughout the world. Christ entered Jerusalem this day in triumph, a triumph that led through suffering and death to resurrection and new life. In faith, and love may we follow this messiah the humble ruler who comes riding on a donkey after the address we normally focus on the palms the crosses we made and the palm branches they play a very significant role in uh, the passion of our lord and so we pray this play of blessings over the palms, eternal God. Bless palms made at home and at church to our use. Grant that we have received them. May ever hail as King and love as Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so we... Pray the collect which would appear on the podcast if you pray it with me. Eternal Father, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, fulfilled your will by taking our nature and giving his life for us. Help us to follow the example of his humility by walking in the way of the cross. We make our prayer through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
So, Father, the gospel is the Palm Sunday one. We will leave the passion narrative for Good Friday for when it's more appropriate. Okay. Um, so, for the purposes of this, we are focusing <laughs> on the gospel according to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. So, interesting about this is this is Jesus' second time in Jerusalem. And the first time he met with Nicodemus and then he bounced via Jericho to the River Jordan, got baptized and then went back all the way to Galilee. Three years later, he's doing kind of the reverse trip going via Jericho where he meets up with Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree and then heads to Bethany where Lazarus, Mary and Martha are. And then says to the apostles, and I'm going to take you to verse 2. Go to the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. Then when he gets the colt, they go via the hill, the hill of Olives, Mount of Olives. He looks down at Jerusalem, weeps, foretells the destruction. But in your experience and in your teaching, what is the significance of like the mirror moves that he's making to Jerusalem, the mirror journey as the one that he took the last time when we left Jerusalem? Okay. It's, it's a very interesting um, observation, um, tracing the root of our Lord, being in the place and then going back to that place and the route he took. One would always uh, um, hear people say the straightest route is as the crow, crow flies. Um, so the one that's the straightest one going there. But was, was the path to the cross as straight and uncomplicated as, the, as that um, adage refers to? No, it wasn't. And why would Jesus need to take a detour? from a place going back to that place. And I wondered when you were sharing that uh, insight uh, and that observation, was was it about encountering people? Was it about touching base with where they are, listening to their stories, their cry, their plea, touching base with their ignorance, with their um, illiteracy in terms of faith and life, uh, being being an oppressed people? Uh, touching base with their cries for justice, uh, both in the religious sector as well as in society at large. Um, I wonder that by doing that detour, as he went from village to village, was he then beginning to embrace more deeply the burden of humanity, the sin effect of it, both personal and and also the societal systems that put um, that 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 force people into into slavery and 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 into um, into oppression, so that as he journeys to the cross, he takes them with him in a particular kind of way. They become part of his mind, his thoughts. They become part of his prayers, and they become part of his heart. Uh, Excuse me. They become part of his thinking. They become part of 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 his embrace of all that humanity has presented itself to be. And, and by encountering them and and embracing them, he's also drawing them into the salvific action that he's called to participate in. Mm -hmm. And so that route was never 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 just a straight route. He went in, given the, the focus you gave on verse 2 and 3, he goes in without any earthly possessions, without any written will of possessions and who will inherit whatever he has behind, who he leaves behind. He goes on something borrowed. Uh, he has no, he doesn't have his own ride. He, he is the, he's the man on the borrowed donkey. And the, the, the reason that he, he was allowed to take it was he promised he will send it back. He's got no intention of, of 
taking stuff that others need in their lives. Mm-hmm. But whatever the Lord needs, are we able to say, yes, Lord, here it is. You use it for your purpose, for your need. And is there a lesson in there for us? Um, we don't have a sense coming from the owner um, of, of, of them distrusting Jesus, but it was the bystanders who seemed to um, be protective of what was going on in their community. Uh, you know, um, what are you doing and tying the cult? So mm-hmm. somebody was observing what was going on. And I wonder whether this is part of the, the, the needed narrative to just, show, to just say, why do you need it? And then to inform the people, the Lord needs it. Mm. And what would their response be to that title uh, of, that, of, of, of the person that is referred to the Lord? So even before he goes into Jerusalem with no earthly possession, he's acknowledged as the Lord. And so we are blessed to give to the Lord whose blessings is always upon us. And the immense blessing we will receive would obviously be what he offers us. He will send back the donkey, but he will give his life Mm. as a ransom for many. That's very interesting. Uh, um, and then it's obviously, as uh, I was listening to uh, Palm Sunday, the podcast from last year, and and I think I'll reiterate the point. Then there's a lot of like showboating because it's the Passover festival. So we are fortunate enough once again to be recording this the day after the Passover festival. Um, so Pesach. Um, and so there's a big gathering in Jerusalem in the old city and he knows this and he knows the symbolism of him entering through that specific gate on a donkey he knows the historic symbolism amongst the jews so he gets there and they throw down their cloaks on the road um let's bring it to verse 8 many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields and then those who went ahead of those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord so my feeling is that these are not followers of jesus so these are just like ordinary hebrews coming to celebrate the passover festival in like the capital city so was he at all in your mind was he at all surprised by the reception that he got or did he plan it i think i think all along jesus was aware of of how the crowds um responded to him Mm. Um, there was there were certain certain people that obviously had issues with him and they would question what it is that he was doing. But generally he understood the crowds would have embraced him. Did he do it because he wanted that? I don't think so. But what does it say about the crowds themselves? What did they know about the tenets of their faith, the longing for the Messiah? Was was there a recall of a prophecy that was made that made them think, you know, this is the guy that's been healing people, been preaching in the synagogues. We get amazed by his teaching. Here he is coming now, riding on a donkey. What are we, what are we meant to, 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 to think here? Was it something that we were expecting to happen? Was this representing David's entry as the liberator um, mm. into to Israel? Does is it significant that 
somebody with the standing of our Lord, though you though humble yet outspoken, um, he comes in and would him being on a donkey represent a coming liberator? Because the expectation, of course, is that somebody coming into the city with an army behind him would come on a, a, a spectacular horse because mm. that would give a little bit more stature. So his entry is one of humility, not one of um, of triumph mm. uh, in the mm. way that people would, would assume. So did the image of him entry spark of something in them that said, didn't they teach us about this? It looks familiar, mm. but is it? And their immediate response is, um, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So why would they shout that? Why would they announce it like that? Um, was was it in their, their teaching? Because these children were taught by their mothers from age two, both the life and history of their faith. Mm. Uh, which is all part of their journey, the God who journeys with them. And uh, Jesus represented this hope as he entered there. And um, so I think it triggered of something of hope in them. And they immediately talk about a coming kingdom. So, of course, they politically incorrect now because how are they meant to shout this in the face of the Roman Empire? Mm. You know, was this the hope they were looking for in the person of our, our Lord, who's now seen as the one who comes in the name of the Lord? So this image portrayed before them is the Lord's doing. If he's coming in the name of the Lord, then it's the Lord's doing. Um, it's something we can't. Um, so they must have been elated. Go, go back to the time when Madiba came out of prison. We were still very much entrenched in apartheid. Mm. But just the word of him coming out, and there was not a man there that we looked upon that said, well, I am, I am he. No, he comes, gently addresses people, doesn't want the fanfare, but in him... The understanding is that now what we've been looking for has arrived. What we've died for has come true. That is no doubt the um, the son mm. of the son of liberation. So I think that is very much in their their heads. It's um, it's an image that is planted there. They were looking for hope. There was what is called the Messianic expectation mm. that was rooted within them. So our liberation is coming. A new kingdom will come, a kingdom which we will be free from all this oppression. And it comes from the highest heaven. This is all about God's doing, caught mm. up in this person. Okay, so then he heads into the city, goes to the temple, has a bit of a look around. Um, it literally says in verse 11, then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So now he goes back to Bethany. So I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds here. I'm, I'm thinking... Because he spoke of tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days, he's had all, he's built this narrative already. And now he goes in, this is the last time that he's inside the temple. And he takes it all in, has a good look around, doesn't teach, doesn't preach, doesn't do anything, doesn't give a sacrifice, nothing. And then bails to go have the feast with 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 the twelve back in Bethany. What 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 is going through his mind here? What is the significance of this specific visit? So, so entry into Jerusalem 
may may be understood as being a political action. Mm. But the first thing he does is to visit the temple, which represents the presence of God. This is my father's house. Mm. Do not treat it like a den of robbers. But not only did they treat it as a den of robbers, they were also going to break down the actual temple. He looks yeah. around to yeah. see what, what, what is all in place. What is the meaning of all of this? When he understood himself to be the one that will be broken, that the, that, that which the world was going to break up was the very presence of God and the symbolism that the temple stood for that, where the work of God was meant to happen, where people were meant to be counseled and pastored, cared for and empowered and taught and brought together in community. Mm -hmm. This symbol because of his death, was going to be destroyed. And um, we now know all those years from 66 AD to now, that temple has never been restored. Mm. Other, another faith has gotten hold of it, so it, it is, it's managed by three faiths right now, the Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians. And is that a significant... Um, a reality we must acknowledge, an historical reality that we must acknowledge. Is there any tenets of faith in the fact that three faiths very close, closely associated with each um, has, has, as it were, a hand on the temple, but it's never restored right now. Mm. So are we meant, therefore, not to focus on the temple itself, but on who the Lord is. Um, how is worship going to be restored? Is it in the restoration of a building? Or is it in the restoration of the person of our Lord Jesus who brings us into worship with the Father? Uh, in him there is the true worship, not in brick and mortar. Mm. Uh, um, so, the, so his viewing of everything would be the last time and I think this was focused on the second temple, which was built. So, so there was a first temple, and this is the second temple. Yeah. And now we realize that even, even, even though the other two may point to him, they will no longer exist when he comes. He will restore both the political life and the worship life, the life of faith of the people, but not in the way that they assume. He works rather in the hearts of people and changes their minds and gets them to be together because he went out to Bethany with the 12. These were the ones that have journeyed with him and through this community, they will become the new community of faith and of witness. Um, in which the focus will not be on brick and mortar, but on the person of the crucified and risen Christ. Mm. There's a lot of uh, symbolism of a of a trio of a. Um, so it's the three fates that are now in control of of the temple site. There's the third destruction of the temple. Well. <laughs> that's not yeah like it's there was the first one then there was the rebuilding and then now the temple of jesus that is now being destroyed and then what he emerges as is kind of the future of the faith yeah in terms of like the covenant with with god like the right. new covenant right uh, so so it's 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 beautiful from a just from like poetic sense it, it 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 is one of those throwaway lines almost that holds so much symbolism um and then from here the next time he goes back to jerusalem it's on the path to the cross to die yeah yeah so yeah it's 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 a uh, like that, that that's why i i i thought 
it would be best to just focus in on the symbolism and kind of put ourselves in the mind of what would be going through this man's head as he takes on this journey, knowing at this point what is to come. Because then, like, next time he's sitting down with everybody, um, he gets anointed and he tells them, like, how everything's going to play out. Um, and then Judas is like, <laughs> he does the whole, he does the whole thing. Uh, so, like, the, these, 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 these final moments, these final moments where he kind of crosses over from being Jesus of Nazareth into, like, Jesus Christ. Um, what, what have you been taught in your studies uh, about that? Yeah, I think that that is that is important. When um, one traces the, the journey of our Lord Jesus, is the titles and the names that they gave him. Mm. Um, closer to the cross, word Messiah comes up, and we know this: the word Messiah is closely associated with the word Christ or the title Christ. Um, I see titles as a call to responsibility, mm. um, not just a title but a call to responsibility. And so my, our Lord then took full responsibility for what he was called to be and to do um, according to the will of the Father, according to the benefit of creation and all of humanity from every time, uh, race, creed, um, generation after generation, until eternity is realized. Of course, much of this comes across as being otherworldly. Um, it's it's the, the depth of it is beyond um, what the eye can meet. What 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 do what do people mean when they say the one who comes in the name of the Lord? What what is 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 that a statement of deep faith? Uh, and is that what they found in Jesus, the one? who bears the personality, the presence and the power of God on earth. And through him, they come to know the God of the covenant, the God who liberated their forefathers from Egypt. Um, and of course, the, the, the whole thing about the kingdom life under, uh, under the ancestor David. And for many years, there was it was a peaceful reign. Uh, yes, there needed to be fights in order for the peaceful reign to come. Um, David, of course, had his own human frail frailties, but he didn't discredit what that kingdom was meant to be. Christ now comes and perfects that. So it's otherworldly, calling us to a depth of faith, a depth of reason, a depth of um, understanding that... Um, goes beyond what the eye can see and what the ear can necessarily hear. So, um, I mean, if you just look at, look at that verse again, then he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. If we just focus on that for a few moments. What, what is it that the author wants to tell us? Why is verse 11 so important? Wouldn't it have been smart for him just to end on the note of Zana in the highest heaven? Mm -hmm. That's a victorious cry. No, he goes into the place designated for the presence and worship of the Father. And why does he need to be there? And all he does is look around at everything. What was he wanting to see? And once he looked around at everything, recognizing the time is late, he goes to another town nearby. And he goes with the community of the twelve. Um, what did that, that verse want us to know? What depth is it calling us? When it says, as it was already late, is that sort of saying his hour was really drawing nigh now? That once he's seen the condition of the temple, the place of worship, the place that 
was to represent the presence of God, did he now know there was no other way out but to prepare for the next part of this journey? I've come to Jerusalem. I entered. They seem to have welcomed me in this glorious way. And I can get off here and say, well, the people have accepted me. Mm. I could say this is the end of my journey. But verse 11 says, no, it's not. Mm. Um, and so he, he goes to where he recognizes there's still a long way ahead. But this time he's entering to Jerusalem. As you so brilliantly said, it's to face the cross. It's to die. Mm. And, and just look if you juxtapose the cross over against us 9 and 10. It doesn't seem to fit what they were talking about and, and what they were shouting about. It, it doesn't fit the scene. How does the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord end up on a cross? How is the kingdom? How is hallelujah in the highest brought out through the event of this death on the cross? Um, again, here, whilst we, whilst we shout all those wonderful things and we do so in a spirit of worship, was it just words that came off the lips of their mouths, maybe expressing their hope, but with no depth of faith and belief? Because this same crowd is going, are going to shout some, something different. Did their sense of worship take him to the temple to actually see what was in there? Mm. Was, it just, was it just emptiness? Were there signs of true worship from the heart of the community? Were these words of celebration in worship just empty words coming from empty hearts? Was this words of um, spiritual poverty? Mm. I think... I think if you just focus on that and you, you go to his final moments on the cross and he's like, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's like, I think he knew that it was all just lip service. It was all just the crowd getting caught up in the moment as they were at his crucifixion. Because I'm sure that many of those people were just, acting on hearsay where it's like someone said that Jesus of Nazareth is coming into the city from this gate we want to go see we've heard so much about him and then a couple of days later it's like they are saying that this dude is claiming that he's the king of the Jews and all these things and he must be crucified so let's just get caught up in that party and it's 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 sad to know that my humanity is that weak. It's like I've I've been in many situations where I've caught myself being swept up in in the crowd. Um and am I ashamed of it? Not really. It's 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 our human nature and it's something that we should be mindful of so that we can maybe preempt it um and have some take more responsibility for our actions. But yeah, do, do, do you think that, that Jesus was aware of, of those kind of failings? Do you think he maybe ever felt it within himself? I wondered, I wondered as, you was, as you were raising that, when we look at what had happened as he entered into Jerusalem on this cult, and they had performed in ways that you and I are now performing on Palm Sunday, We've made the palm crosses. We have a procession, which is the normal custom. We say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We sing that in acclamation. Mm. But, but this struck me as you 
spoke. When he looked around at everything. He heard everyone. Then he looked around at everything. So the temple had things in it. Mm. It did not have the community in it. That is why he needed to die. He needed to die for a people whose worship were just words and empty rituals. They were fine with the temple that had everything in it, but they were not really the temple community. Mm. Jesus' interpretation of the temple was, this is my father's house and it's a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a place for everything. And whilst our, our focus is on the everything in the temple, his focus is on what was at the heart of these people who suddenly were all stuck with worship. Yet the temple had everything but not everyone. Mm. It was not the home of truly the home of the father where the people gathered. It was just a place for everything. An emptiness, a coldness. Um, and that is why he had to die. That is why he had to say, Father, forgive them. They really don't not know. And during the, the season of Lent, we read Isaiah 58, where we, we on Ash Wednesday, um, Isaiah 58 is, the, is what is true fasting and what is true worship. Mm. And the call is to do justice, to pay people better salaries, to care for the widowed and the orphaned. Mm. And God found the community wanting. So whatever worship they were spewing out of their mouths was just empty words and rhetoric. The, the assumption was, if we do this, we will soothe God's ear. God doesn't want words. He wants the true response of our hearts. Mm. And that's why that's why Jesus dies every year. <laughs> that's like... why Jesus dies every day. <laughs> I'm, 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 come on, Father, let's cut ourselves some slack here. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? Well, be why? Because we are but only human. Um, that is why. That is why he calls us to pray the Lord's prayer. When you pray, say. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And save us from the time of trial. Where does those words reference to? I'm at a loss. Well, didn't he say, Father, forgive them, you know, what they, what they do? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. it rings of that. Where is the victory over the, tri the trials that we have to face on the cross? It is finished. My job is completed. Um, into your hands, I can, your kingdom come, your will be done. Mm. On earth, as uh, you know. For, for to you belong the, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Where's the glory? In the cross. Mm. I've never I've never understood it that way, actually. That's that's been the most thorough unpacking of the our father that I've I've ever had. And I mean I've learned it through Anglicanism and through Catholicism. So yeah. I'm that that was that. And I'm not sure what, what ism you're learning it through today. <laughs> <laughs> but circling back to like the, the victory. So so you alluded to it earlier where David wrote in um, 
in the times of the Maccabees, like they rode in. I think that was the time where the leader, I forget his name, rode in on a donkey, um, an unyoked beast. And then Jesus hasn't overcome anything yet. So he rides in on a victory parade without actually having had a victory yet. So the victory is still to come, um, which which is, it, it, yeah, I, I had it in my notes here, where it, it was something that, that it's a subversion um, that, that I found quite interesting. But to carry on, on on our thread that we were saying now, like we were going pretty deep, where it's like, how many people, like we are now in under threat of not having in-person um, Easter services. We expecting to hear the president address the nation and bring us to like lockdown level two um, for the Easter weekend and the week thereafter. How many people flooded back to the churches and had that longing for the churches just to be part of that community where they could be swept up in that euphoria and the the theater of church? And how far have we come over the 365 days that have elapsed when everything was shut down? I think from what one is engaged by in terms of conversation, there is a deep longing for um, capacity gathering again. Mm. But people are seeing seriously cautious in our congregation, and I accept and understand that. I think that what for me is a necessity to learn is what therefore, when we look back at our capacity gatherings in the past, did it really mean to be, how were we really community in mm. the sense of the word when we were gathered in capacity? Now we are talking about in-person worship and in-person the worship has limitations on it. And so part of my understanding when I spoke to congregations uh, during lockdown who came to church when we were able to have it, thank you for being the congregation today. Remember you're not here worshiping only for yourselves, but you're here on behalf of the others who are not able to be here. So a way of looking at um, the, the, the faith-based community uh, when we're not able to meet in capacity. Also, those that have for long had a social distancing um, a, a euphoria with the church in that they wouldn't come as regularly as, as they've been encouraged to come, um, also have a sense in which I, I do need to be there, but, you know, I feel the burden of guilt because how do I go where I haven't been regularly? So there's a, um, a mixture of feelings and of senses. But again, here it teaches us, uh, like now, for, for example, it would seem to me the response for open air services, uh, you know, for any service that we're having now, the open air service is the one that seems to get the major responses. Mm. I'm not sure mm. if all 200 that registered to come for tomorrow's service because it's open air will be all there because, you know, getting up in the morning, people may have a different view on whether they want to be outside that early in the morning or not. Be that as it may, what does phoning in to ask? Register me for that say that even though we miss being inside the building, what we're longing for is to be gathered in worship in the name of the Lord and to sing our hosannas where we can share this with the community at, at large. And so um, enabling them to become relaxed, bring their own garden chairs or beach chairs with them. And to say that in the ordinariness of my life, I can still be part of the community, even though in the temple inside there would be 
everything that is supposed to encourage me for worship. There'd mm. be books, there'd be hymn books, there'd be screens. Outside, we perhaps are, are not able to do all of that because we're not supposed to have books and touch things and stuff like that. But does that stop our worship? Are we still, as it were, opening our hearts to God who calls us to be his faithful people, no matter what the circumstances are? And, and I see people saying, yes, we want that. And we will be that even when there are restrictions placed on us. Mm. But, but I'm talking about now, uh, when I look at the, 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 the giving of the, the sacrificial giving to the ministry and mission of the church, it's been extraordinary. So, mm. so what are people mm -hmm. saying? Uh, about the, the the mission of the church continuing through its ministry, even when capacity um, uh, gatherings are not uh, uh, are not able, but we are restricted to our in-person um, um, worship. They must always, in other words, be a community, a kernel of a kernel of the community that is meeting on behalf of others. Hopefully, they encourage others to become part of that kernel, which is the intention is to grow it bigger. We don't want people on the periphery. We want people to take ownership in the center, as it were. Mm. I think one of my uh, pre-lockdown memories <laughs> of the church, and I mean, this is like a long time before it happened, um, was the Rugby World Cup final that I, I, I usually kind of keep to myself when it comes to enjoying those sorts of things and it was a really special moment that lives in my mind um to enjoy that with 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 members of of the faith community at least the church community the church of st george's um with that bazaar and then watching the game and all of that um and yeah it, it, it's incredible i was just reflecting on that now as you were speaking how the community has endured um, and supported on the podcast, on the Facebooks, on all of those things, still interacted with um, the mission of of the Church of St. George's. And yeah, it's 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 been amazing. Uh, I was meeting with a client this week, and just in the discussion, I I ended by saying it was refreshing to see or to hear an organization, the key stakeholders in an organization, be able to finally look back at the year that was and see how far they have come. It's like they, they I was interviewing them to produce um, some, some PR and through their stories, they were crystallizing a lot of what they've learned and how they've adapted as an organization um, over time. And yeah, in what you were saying now, it was was kind of the same thing. And I think I, I will close by saying that, yes, there is the theater of church, especially when it comes to the big celebrations like Palm Sundays, um, Good Friday, Easter, all, all those things. There's, there's this expectation, there's certain things that you do that you partake in because the crowd is doing it and that is what you have been taught to do. But I think these last 365 days have allowed us to really dig deeper and discover the roots of the faith. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have partaken in that journey for with a lot of people um, and with you, Father. Uh, it's been my privilege, my brother, uh, my humble privilege to be able to participate with the exploration of our faith, um, not only through this particular crisis, but also to be able to draw on the past as well as to look to the future, which we know nothing about. Mm. But we do, we do know the Lord of the future. And uh, just this morning I was reading a a text from the psalm, uh, which was a very personalized text, which said, my destiny 
is in your hands. And what a um, recognition that we don't know the destiny. We may be walking the path. We trust that there is a positive destiny. But is it in our hands? Is it, is it for me to, to, to draw up the agenda of that destiny going forward? Or is it now that I know it's in his hands, how do we plan it together? Him in his hands, my destiny is, means that I'm in, in his hands. And therefore, with him, I go forward. And I would like to then extend that whilst I say it, it's a personal kind of thing. I realize that you and others read that same text. And so the my becomes an our, mm. you know, and then we need to recognize ourselves as fellow companions in whose hands his des our destiny is. Mm. So, Father, I think that is a great note to leave it on. Um, I think for this week, the reflections can be about the journey that we each have taken over the last year. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I think we can conclude with the dedication with the and sending. Yeah. With the blessing. So, my brothers and sisters, Holy Week starts tomorrow. And we have services on Tuesday and Thursday evening at seven o'clock in the evening at services that will also be live streamed. We also have Good Friday services on at from nine to ten and then second service eleven to twelve and then on Saturday from nine to ten. Uh, that sort of is the three hours and then Sunday morning at eight o'clock and Go now and follow Christ in obedience. Have the same mind as was in Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes open to God's teaching, ears open to God's teaching. Be humble, even in the face of hostility, and do not turn back. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>